0: Welcome back to the Wizards of Ecom podcast. This is episode number 342. My name is Carlos Alvarez and I'll be your host for this episode. On today's episode, we have Vance Lee on the show. Vance is a digital nomad, veteran e seller, founder and creator of a close up blue house and kicks a, a bona fide Kickstarter guru. Vance, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Th- this almost didn't happen. I think I've had like the worst luck in the world, like with our calendars or my calendar, I won't even put it on you, but like my calendar and like making this show happen. So I'm finally, I'm happy that we're finally able to make this happen. Excited. Yeah. Um, Today, like obviously with the, those titles that I dropped in front of your name right now in this introduction, there's a lot of different directions the show can go. Um, If somebody hasn't looked at the title though, um, we're we're going to tackle Kickstarter, which is like you're you have a zone of genius when it comes to this. Um, you 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 started an accelerator called playground theory, which we'll we'll touch on through the show. But um the goal here is to talk about how to incorporate Kickstarters into product launches. And I'm hoping, uh you you correct me if I'm wrong here if this is too unrealistic, but like I'm hoping by the end of the show um that people listening to this will be ready to like. Uh, see themselves a little bit as like a Kickstarter ninja or at least get dangerous. And like, how are they going to be <laughs> able to use Kickstarter in, in launching a product? Or one of the questions I'm going to ask you later is like, should it impact product selection even like how far does it go? So like they'll understand how that whole area works since you've not been on the show before. Um, tell me, tell the audience, tell the listeners a little bit about you, how you got into this world of e-commerce you know how it connects to Kickstarter um, and anything else you feel like listeners should know before you start dropping this knowledge on them.
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds good. So l- let's train some ninjas. I-, I think that'll be a that'll be our goal for today. <laughs> so um, I I'm from Canada originally and uh, typical nine to five story, just doing kind of a, a regular job. My first business was actually in video production. I started a video production agency with my business partner uh, who's my current business partner now with my e-commerce businesses, uh, Johnny. And uh, we, we started this as a result of having a really cool trip to Thailand uh, here. It's kind of full circle. I'm back there now, but a trip to Thailand. And I said, okay, well, this is awesome. How can I do this all the time? Or how can I do this and make this a part of my lifestyle to be able to travel when I want? And so I went back to Canada and uh, at the time, I was just looking around for business ideas and things that I could take online. And I came across Amazon FBA. So this was 2015. And I said, Hey, you know what? I can probably figure this out. So <laughs> just started the Amazon FBA business and uh, the first product launched at the end of 2015. And it did really well. So it became like my first product that was successful. So I got the taste of it and uh, pretty much from there, just went on to having really aggressive goals of launching products in 2016. Um, I didn't really understand much about cash flow or any of these kind of uh, e-commerce challenges at the time. So my goal for 2016, after that um, overconfident launch, I said, okay, this year I'm gonna launch 12 products. And so I uh, ended up launching 12 products, but the spoiler alert is like 10 of them failed and just lost a lot of money. But in the process, uh, kind of discovered this whole world of um, outside of Amazon. So I'm still an Amazon seller, so I love Amazon, but there's a lot of alternative things I discovered in this process in 2016 when, I don't know if you remember this, but back then, they uh, before 2016, there was the possibility of doing honest and biased reviews. So you could just send somebody a product, uh, and then as long as they put an honest and biased reviews on it, it was okay, completely different world. And near the end of 2016, I think it was around Q3, Q4, they announced that we couldn't do that anymore. And uh, this was really, really terrible news because we had a massive order coming in for an order that we displayed in China. And so we started to panic. I was like, no idea what to do. Like, like this is a huge issue. That was the only method that I knew how to launch. And we had a lot of inventory coming in. So I started looking around. So exploring things like Shopify. And I remember that I'd bought a product from Kickstarter before like as a supporter and as a customer so took a look at kickstarter and said okay well maybe we can launch this product here and so what ended up happening was we took the product launched it on kickstarter it became a massive success it was a coffee product it was a cold brew coffee maker um and you mentioned my brand earlier so if anybody wants to look they want to look that up they can probably find it um but the cold brew coffee maker did about $950,000, $950,000, so almost a million dollars across uh, Kickstarter, which is a crowdfunding platform that uh, that you mentioned, uh, and Indiegogo and upsells. So almost a million dollars on this first. And that's when I said, okay, maybe we're onto something here because uh, I'm sure we'll get into this uh, in a little more detail, but Kickstarter has so many advantages with not requiring inventory and getting the cash up front and all these interesting things that are challenges for a lot of sellers. And so we started exploring and doing product launches over there. And that essentially led to launching products and a lot of people asking, hey, you know, how are you doing this? And how can you, you know, can you share some secrets with us? And eventually that kind of led us to launching Playground 3, which you mentioned, which is a way of helping uh, people launch products using uh, Kickstarter and pre-orders and building communities and brands off of, uh, well, multi-channel. So that was the goal of this, uh, that was the goal of this project.
0: Hold on. I, I want to make sure like clarification here that you didn't eat a comma or something like that. Did you say you did almost $950,000 or like almost a million dollars on- On oh, my first launch, yeah. It was really, really crazy. What? <laughs> I had no idea. Oh my God. That's, when was this? This
1: was 2016. So this was, uh, the launch was November, 2016.
0: I know. I mean, that's still a big number to this day. I mean, in in my mind, like doing a Kickstarter. But back then, was there that many Kickstarters that had put up that sort of number at that time? Like, did you have any idea that that was possibility?
1: No clue. Uh, At that point, to be honest, I was just thinking, let's. Like, I'm really hoping that uh, I can move this inventory because we'd already ordered. We designed a product; it was really cool, and I was just concerned that because Amazon had this change in policy that there's no way to launch this product anywhere that would, that would build momentum. So the the truth was no idea what to expect. And it kind of just was a massive surprise. And it became this really cool way of understanding that there's a new channel uh, off Amazon that could be a complementary strategy to, to launching on Amazon or launching on Shopify and just, uh, and just to add some creativity and thinking outside the box to, to look at launches. So yeah, to answer your question, no clue. Uh, couldn't have planned it, and <laughs> even if I tried.
0: Have you been able to achieve that level of success on Kickstarter since?
1: Yeah, so I've launched products um, for. I've launched follow-up products uh, since since then, and uh, since then, we've worked with a lot of different people to support them, uh, either directly uh, to execute project launches or to support them in some capacity through the program that we have. And uh, yeah, we've seen projects go. F- you know, from fifty thousand dollars to four or five hundred thousand dollars. Um, it really depends on the product and the niche. But there's a lot of interesting stories about random products that do really, really well and then end up commercializing on Amazon afterwards and other channels as well. But um, yeah, it's a it's an ongoing process to kind of explore and to to experiment with what what works. Was
0: was the coffee product just like one random product in a bunch of random products, or had you identified that as a niche, or like did you look at Kickstarter and say? I don't know what this could do, but it looks like the coffee niche could do good here. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So originally it was um, the product research was done for Amazon. So the idea was this was going to launch on Amazon. So there's keyword search volume. Uh, At at the time, cold brew coffee was starting to pick up. So this was kind of like the early stage of cold brew coffee coming to America and getting popular. So uh, there was this increasing demand for cold brew coffee. So uh, I think at the time there was a combination of luck, but the, you know the campaign was pretty well put together. Uh, but really, uh, it, it was it was knowing that there's demand for this, and then just using Kickstarter as a platform to to prepare for the launch. And when it comes to launching on Kickstarter, the interesting thing is you actually don't need. Uh, well, you, you need two things. Well, one, you need the uh, working prototype. So you actually need to have a physical working prototype to show that your product exists. So if you're launching a knife, you need a knife. If you're launching a, I don't know, like a towel, you just have to have that like as a ready product. And then the second thing you need is this uh, campaign page. And so that's equivalent to your product listing page on Amazon, where you tell the story about your product and why people should support you. And I don't think we've touched on this yet, but I think the uh, for those of you, Um, those listening that don't really understand how Kickstarter works. The idea is it's a pre-order platform. So um, instead of ordering it and getting the product just like on Amazon in two days or a couple days, people are ordering the product to support launching this product and they're, they're expecting that they're not going to get it right away. So sometimes it's a couple months, sometimes it's, you know, eight months to a year, it depends on what you explicitly state in your campaign. And so people pre-order it with the intention that they're going to get it at some point later on. And the culture on Kickstarter is a little bit different than Amazon. When people go to Kickstarter, they're there to shop. They're there, I'm sorry, when people go to Amazon, excuse me, they're there to shop, they're there to buy something that they're looking for. On Kickstarter, it's a little bit different. Uh, the culture of Kickstarter started with this idea that people want to launch cool products, they need money to support the launch. And the people that are coming to this website are putting down their money to support an entrepreneur or a business or a product idea to bring it to life. So it's a completely different kind of mindset when it came to spending money on this platform. And so later on, um, Kickstarter evolved a lot. So now it's been used to launch really just any category of products before it was seen to be launching like innovative products and things that are more unique. Now we're seeing lots of different categories of products that are, uh, you no, know, products you'll see on Amazon often too. So um, it's the use case has changed, and now a lot of people, uh, whether they're new brands or existing stronger brands, will use this as a way to uh, kind of reap some of the benefits of uh, being able to build an audience, uh, build a brand, cash flow, all those types of things that I'm sure we can we can tap into if you want to go in that direction. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I wanted to start with like that. That that was where I was going to go. Like talk talk to me about what is Kickstarter for that people don't know. Like, you just described that well, but when you said first one almost a million dollars i'm like we're, we're going to go down this path a little bit <laughs> that got my attention so so yeah like let's 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 pull it back a little bit so you, you described like you know, sort of how kickstarter has evolved over time um one 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 question i would have is and we can use uh, a lot of listeners to this or or amazon sellers as well but we'll use a product detail page on amazon like you understand like, obviously the importance of the title and the main image. And like, there's certain things that if you just get wrong, you're done. H- how important are the keywords, um, on your Kickstarter campaign for getting surfaced in search with like native Kickstarter, Kickstarter arters or whatever they're called, like supporters, <laughs> how, how Yeah, we call them, that? we call them backers. So backers, backers. are the people that That's support nice. uh,
1: projects. Yeah. It sounds cooler, right? <laughs>
0: um, Absolutely.
1: So yeah, great question. Um, So keywords are not that important. So in the realm of Kickstarter, what's important is being able to generate traction on your campaign, um, usually within the first 24 to 48 hours. So our goal usually when we uh, launch our projects or like our own products or when we're working with somebody to launch a campaign, the goal that we set is within the first 24 to 48 hours, you need to hit your goal. And so maybe I should back up and explain that Kickstarter is not a permanent platform. You're not selling on this, like it's not a replacement for Amazon. uh, It's not a replacement for Shopify. It's 100% used as a launch platform. So this is, uh, you know, you can incorporate this into your launch strategy before launching on Amazon. It has a lot of benefits and we can go into that. But the idea is that Kickstarter is a limited time campaign. So what that means is you choose... number of days this campaign is going to be live up to 60 days and uh, during that time you have a goal so let's say your goal is a hundred thousand dollars and so your goal within that period of time is to hit your goal and uh the funding goal from pledges from backers and once you hit that goal um you of course you can continue to raise more than that but you've hit your goal and that means you're going to get the money paid out to you when the campaign closes so the way it works is uh, once the campaign closes let's say you picked 45 days 45 days is over, you wait 15 days. And at the 15th day, that's when you get paid your cash from uh, from Kickstarter. So that means you get the orders and the money in advance before placing your first order with your supplier. And all you really needed was the first production sample to be able to show Kickstarter that you have the actual product. And you, of course, you need that sample to make the the campaign page. So your product listing page, essentially.
0: I didn't know about the need to have like a prototype or the physical product. I can I can see why that would be like yeah you need to have this like it makes sense if you really want to succeed in your campaign, but I feel like I've seen some people not showing it and maybe showing like a graphic or like look like like a CAD drawing almost. Are people getting away with that or is that a hard rule on Kickstarter?
1: It's a pretty hard rule on Kickstarter. Uh, There's another website so. In terms of crowdfunding websites, there's two big ones, uh, Kickstarter and the other one's called Indiegogo. So those are two platforms that are both, um, both offering crowdfunding projects. And Indiegogo is a little bit looser when it comes to the um, the, the approval criteria. So they will accept uh, CAD drawings and like kind of design sketches and things like that. Um, but you have to specify that that's where you're at in the project phase so if you're if you don't have a production ready product you you need to kind of emphasize that to to the backers so that they know that there's a risk involved and the interesting thing about these platforms is that you're not guaranteed to receive your product and in fact there's a lot of campaigns nowadays like you know if we launch a campaign we're going to have it successful but and, and actually deliver it to the customers but there's a lot of there's a lot of campaigns that have launched with brands that were not that experienced they raised a lot of money and they couldn't figure out the production stuff or they couldn't figure out the supply chain stuff and it's actually very possible that the product doesn't deliver and so what that means is that it's really interesting because the customers that are shopping on these platforms are some of the most the wealthiest e-commerce customers that exist anywhere and the reason for this is they're ready to put down 50 100 and sometimes even a couple hundred dollars for a product that might not even come out. So this is not the, these are not the penny pinching type of uh, of customers. These are people there to get something interesting or to to be able to tell their friends that they were the first to get this product. And so that's the kind of customer that we're working with when we uh, when we launch on platforms like this. So it's a bit of an interesting approach to be able to uh, tell them a story and be able to kind of invite them into the world of launching this product and as long as they're into it, they're, they're really into it. So uh, definitely a very, very different mindset than, than specifically just launching on Amazon and selling to Amazon customers.
0: What Uh, I have two questions that I'm in my head, I'm trying to say like, you know, which one of these would make sense to go first. Uh, So you, I'll let you know what they are and like
1: you take them, I guess in, in, in a
0: logical order. Right. So so one of them, one of them is how to decide, you know, how much you want to raise for, your, your campaign? And how do you set those um, those backing levels or those pledges? Like, How do you come up with that? And then the other side of it is, at what stage should you be thinking, like you're going to launch a new product, at what stage should you be thinking Kickstarter is going to be involved in here and I should start thinking about blank, about Kickstarter before I fully evolve this product? Uh,
1: great question. So it depends on... Uh, so I'll take the second one first. I think that one logically makes sense to address first. So it depends on the stage of your product. If you have a product in the design phase and you're kind of conceptualizing, hey, how can I improve this product? Maybe you've done some keyword research and you've found a niche that works. You found an opportunity because you've read a bunch of reviews and said, hey, uh, I want to improve the product in this way. That's a really good time to start thinking about it because um, the, the approach that we take when it comes to launching on Kickstarter is... Uh, before you'll you'll remember that I mentioned that we want to hit our funding goal within the first 24 to 48 hours. So that doesn't happen accidentally. Of course we could run ads, but one really cool benefit of Kickstarter is you get to actually build a community or build an audience or an email list. If you want to call it that the, the idea is that we have this audience and we prepare this audience in advance before the launch. And that's how we know that within the first 24 to 48 hours, we're going to be able to hit that, that goal. So what we like to do as a part of our launch process, which is a little bit unique, is we actually like to incorporate customer feedback. Like as we build this audience, we actually get them involved in giving feedback on the product. Because if you're creating something interesting, let's say you're, um, let's say you're creating um, like a like a knife or something, or a cutting board, or like a cutting board set, and you want to add these different interesting uh, add-ons to it, or you want to create certain shapes. This is the perfect time to ask people that are in your target audience to get their feedback, because if you're going to invest money into making this product, if you're going to build molds or you're going to invest in kind of getting some samples, you want to know that people want this product. So the earlier the stage you are when it comes to launching your product, the more feedback that would be helpful for you to not waste money or to invest in kind of like the wrong Uh, in the the wrong thing that might cost extra money. So the idea here is you get two benefits. One is you get to get feedback that can help you make decisions about the product. And the second benefit is because you're involving customers in the process, people are really invested in, in what you're doing. So kind of the the analogy I like to use is for example, if somebody's ever come to you for business advice and they came to you like a year before launch and they said, Hey, Carlos, um, you know, I want to, hear your thoughts about this idea, uh, what about this logo, or, you know, what do you think about this concept? And you give him some some feedback. When he's launching, uh, like, a year later, and he says, hey, Carlos, can you support me in launching, uh, you know, can you share this, or can you share this with some friends? You're going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm really rooting for you because I was involved in helping you in some capacity so you feel invested this is very different than somebody who uh, comes to you the day before launch and says hey carlos can you share this on your social media or can you can you help me promote this you're going to be like Ugh. like you might be a nice guy and still do it but the the relationship with that is going to be very very different and so that's the dynamic we're trying to create with our launch approach where we incorporate customers in the feedback process because what that means is that they're so much more invested in your product and your brand and who you are so that they're more likely to support when it comes to launching. And what that means is that these people are potentially gonna be long-term supporters of your brand. So you're gonna have these people on your email list and your Facebook group, whatever you want to do, you're gonna be able to have access to these people. And that's a really cool way to, to scale your business because you're gonna be, have, be able to have access to these people that essentially will be able to, when you launch a product, say, hey, launching a new product or launching a new accessory. And these people are kind of there ready to, to support you when you're when you're good to go, essentially.
0: I love that. What, there was what one part of it I wasn't getting. So you're, you're going to fund your goal within the first 24 to 48 hours, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But you also mentioned getting feedback and engagement from your audience, but mm-hmm. are you taught? probably haven't built that audience yet. How did you build that? Is that an audience pre-Kickstarter that you have for your brand? Is this an audience you acquired somewhere else, or is this an audience yeah. you acquired that quickly within 24 to 48 hours?
1: Okay. Great question. So, uh, just, Perfect uh, Perfect question to clarify. So um, the goal is to build the audience before the campaign launch so that when the campaign launches on, you know, like December 1st or whatever, uh, people are there ready to buy. So you're not building the audience. Well, you will be building an audience as you launch the campaign because people are going to be supporting it and you get access to their emails and that type. So you, you're building your audience during the campaign as well. But the goal here is to really build the audience in advance. So in our situation, when we launched our second, uh, our second coffee product, uh, this was a coffee um, coffee glass that makes your coffee smell and taste better designed uh, from the same design principles as wine and whiskey glasses, where they have a certain shape and uh, it, it makes it smell and essentially enhances the taste of the smell. Um, so this product actually really cool because it came as a concept from, um, well, the idea of creating a cup came from our audience. So after our first campaign, we sent out a survey. And it's like, what would you like to see us make? And what better feedback than to get feedback from your audience? And so we ended up developing a product that kind of came from audience feedback. And throughout this process, we involved them by asking like, hey, do you like this design? Do you, you know, do you, uh, you know, which, you know, which patterns do you like or which which logo or, um, you know, packaging do you like? And this gave them an opportunity to be involved. And so when we launched our second campaign, our funding goal was $25,000. And I think we hit about $80,000 within the first uh, the first 12, 16 hours, something like that. And so what that means is that people from our previous customer list came in and supported us along with new people that were also coming from the platform. So when we looked at the numbers, we had about 5% of our initial customer list support us. So people that support us in their first campaign, 5% of them came back and supported us for a second campaign. And you might say, well, 5%, that doesn't sound like a lot. It's not really a big deal. But really, five percent actually resulted in about forty forty nine sorry thirty nine thousand dollars worth of sales from our existing customers. So imagine going live with a launch and seeing results immediately from your existing customers. And so that's the value of building an, a connection with your audience and an email list and a Facebook community. All this kind of stuff is really valuable because as Amazon sellers, we don't get access to our email our customers' emails. So imagine if we had that, how quickly it would be to launch new products and how how profitable it will be to launch products rather than always pushing and pumping PPC and things that are going to be nece- like not necessarily super helpful for um for for profitability at least in the in the short to midterm.
0: I, I find that people find creating a community or an audience o- almost as intimidating as starting a Kickstarter or like or launching <laughs> a product or speaking in public. You know what I mean, like so, Do you have some go-to, we don't have to go really deep on this, but like, do you, do you have a few like go-tos and you're like, assuming this is the first product in your brand, like where are your go-tos or your tried and true methods for starting an audience from scratch?
1: Great question. Yeah. So we can go, uh, I mean, we can go to whatever level you think this is valuable for, for listeners. But um, in general, the question I like to ask when we build an audience is where do your customers hang out? So we're trying to essentially find communities where these people already exist so it might be uh facebook groups it might be reddit communities it might even be depending on your product niche category it could be even like if you're launching i don't know like a tennis product for example um it could be like a local tennis meetup group that has like hundreds of people that play tennis so our goal here is just to start having these conversations with people that are in that niche because we know they're target customers. And so this is very different than, for example, using something like PickFu or, you know, these, these things where you don't know who's answering these surveys. So like you have no idea who they are and if they're actual buyers, they might just be people that have a lot of free time on their hands and they're taking surveys online and that type of thing. But the, the benefit here is we want to engage with people to that actually are going to be our target customers because one, feedback's going to be really valuable. And two, these are going to be people that will actually purchase the product. And so as you're getting the feedback, you're developing the relationship. And then from that point, you're able to create some dynamic where they're interested and they're engaged throughout the entire process. So by the time you launch um, on December 1st, you're going to see a lot of people kind of flooding in to say, hey, I'm ready to buy on this day. So that's the that's the the goal is, is to find communities that exist where you're, where your customers are going to be hanging out.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's similar to like a concept I do with on the email list of customers that I have, um, for, for my brands, what I, what I do is once they've performed, you say X amount of actions on uh, via email, I'll classify them as sort of an ambassador. And then I'll start giving them like behind the scenes of how the products made. Uh, I'll reach out to them and say, what do you think about this? And I, it, when I do that, I feel like I'm noticing, Like you're starting to get more into that raving fan. Like, if I was to tell them then, hey, I have a Kickstarter on this, I could totally see them saying, I want to be part of that. Please send me the link and I'll share it. Even I'll share it to my friends, you know? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the idea is to engage your community, right? So whether it's an email list, like in your situation, uh, some people, depending on their audience, if they like Facebook and that's like the niche that makes sense, they might create a Facebook group. Uh, It doesn't really matter the medium, but the idea is exactly as you mentioned, how can we engage people and how can we identify the people that are going to be really excited to support? And it's actually not as complicated as it sounds, I think, because we're used to Amazon launches where we just go and we just bid on keywords and pump up PPC. That's that is a little bit easier, but when it comes to longevity, uh, longevity especially for an e-commerce business, I think thinking about diversification on different uh, different platforms and also accessing your email uh, your your customers whether it's by email or another medium is going to be super key because this is. Imagine just launching and being able to have thirty thirty-nine thousand dollars of sales coming from your existing customers. Or, you know, that was the equivalent of like a couple hundred like a couple hundred units essentially. And that's that's huge. Like it's it's no how fast can you launch products? How much can you scale your business in a way that's going to be very sustainable? Because one, you can launch products really quickly because you have an audience that's already interested in what you're doing, and two, you're going to be able to start accessing some other different opportunities from other platforms. Like you're not just going to be isolated to Amazon. You're going to be able to create other opportunities for yourself once you have access to your audience. So really, really cool kind of way of thinking of how you can build a business that's more sustainable and a business that's going to be more, um, essentially, you're just minimizing your risk. You're mitigating your risk of, you know, we all hear the crazy stories of just Amazon accounts getting shut down or not getting paid out and things like that. So uh, why not be able to create a business that's going to be diversified and have multiple channels and have access to the customers that are really supporting you. So uh, a lot of cool benefits with, with just that like slight shift in thinking about how can I make my business sustainable?
0: Oh yeah. What, what, um how does it work when somebody sees your brand? You mentioned 5% of your previous backers backed your second campaign. That that's awesome. Yeah. What, what do you think their thought process was? It's like, oh, I'm backing you on the first ones. It's like I want you to bring this thing to life, and you need the funds. But now you pulled off a million dollars in funding on that second one, isn't it? Kind of like spend your own money, man. Like bring this thing to market, <laughs> and I'll just buy for it. Why do I have to pre? Why do I have to pre-purchase it? Like, what's going on there?
1: This is a great question. Uh, this, what a great question. And so the answer to this is that people really love to be involved in things early on. There's this feeling of like being an early adopter that is just really cool, right? And generally with Kickstarter launches, one incentive that you offer is that you kind of offer the best price that the product is ever going to be at. So you'll maybe offer like a 20% discount or something like that. And the fact that they're the first people to back your project or your, your product as it launches they're going to get the best deal that anybody's ever going to see. So that's like a massive, massive advantage that people really like to, to to be a part of. But the second thing is these people just really want to be a part of something that's, that's cool and that's new. So there's this idea of like, hey, I was first. And they can tell the story to their friends about how they were the first to support this product before it was even a real brand. And now I've supported a few of their projects type of thing. So there's an element of kind of like pride that comes with it. And of course, like the discount is really uh, going to be meaningful because that's what we offer as a part of an incentive. And yeah, I mean, I think it's just people love to be early adopters, and if they can say I was first, uh, there's like kind of this like pride and ego part of it that's kind of fun in a way. It's like, hey, I want to be, I want to be in at the ground level when this, these people started.
0: So, so, so you obviously know your stuff on on this side of Kickstarter, but do you also back campaigns? And if so, like, what's the coolest campaign you've backed?
1: Uh, I've I backed a lot of campaigns. Um, I'm a huge fan of this company called Peak Design, and they create camera gear accessories. It started as one guy in his in his home, and he designed some some clip for uh, for for a camera. And this guy raised a couple hundred thousand dollars in his first campaign. And what he ended up doing was he ended up launching about one one campaign every six to twelve months. And his campaigns got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's kind of addressing your, your question about like, would cu- customers keep supporting the same company? And well, the answer for this was yes. And what happened was people just love this journey of this guy getting bigger and built this massive company. And he his one of his most recent campaigns, two campaigns ago, he, raised, he had a $12 million launch, launching a camera tr- tripod, which was something that technology that really like it was reserved for really, really big camera companies to make. So he went from one guy, excuse me, making products in his home to launching like a eight figure campaign essentially. <laughs> so th- these guys are one of the biggest companies they're, they're kind of like the, um, they're like the, the the tesla of uh of kind of role models for being a kickstarter campaign so those uh, so i have like six other products so i know what it means to be like a fan and so the one of the coolest products that i have from them is um well i have a few i have a i have a camera strap i have this bag that is just really cool you can kind of take out the compartments and it's modular so you can kind of organize it and you can put your camera gear or you can put other stuff in there as well so i I love products like that my very very first kickstarter project was a kind of like a, it's just a silicone disc and you can just throw it and it goes really, really far, like, like a hundred feet. And it was like really cool thing that you can uh, just film and and make cool videos of that. So I I backed like probably like 30, 40 projects because I'm really a part of the community. And I think it's a really cool way to find access to new entrepreneurs and new products.
0: Sweet. What, what, um, so now that you really know how to leverage Kickstarter, do you ever like, is it a kill card now? If you have a new product and you're like, oh, I want to do this new product, but you know what? It's not going to be. Like on the Amazon side, this makes sense, but I don't see how this would be a good fit on Kickstarter. Forget it. I'm not going to do it. So like, how does that work for you now?
1: I generally right now focus on launching. So I have a, I sell on Amazon, uh, but my main channels right now are are, uh, Shopify and Kickstarter is just for launching, um, but Shopify and also wholesale. And so wholesale, uh, essentially wholesale to retail, uh, which is something I never thought was really possible when I started e-commerce. I was just, I wanted to just sell online and just focus on that. But because of Kickstarter, um, a lot of people ended up finding out about my products and a lot of distributors started contacting me and saying, hey, um, you know, can we carry your product in Dubai or in Japan or in Korea or whatever? And we started getting, essentially just distributors in these countries that would buy our products in bulk and they would sell it to the coffee shops or the gift stores and all those different people in in those uh in those markets so now we have distributors that just own certain markets for our brand where we don't actually have to touch it but they're they're just buying you know like a thousand units and then they they sell it in the japanese market and so those are our main channels right now so our products are a little bit higher price point than uh than than kind of the products in our category at Amazon, so they don't do super well on Amazon. But um, for for the ones that do uh, that are on there, people still actually go to Amazon sometimes because they prefer to to use Amazon. So they they, they trust Amazon. So sometimes instead of buying from our store, they'll just go to Amazon. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but yeah. So but is it a kill um,
0: card? Like like if if you don't see Kickstarter working to launch it on Amazon or Shopify and instead you're like, oh, you know what, if I launch this, I'm just going to have to be reliant on paid ads or some other uh, channels, would you launch it or would you be like, nah, I'll pass?
1: I'd aim for something that can launch and do well on Kickstarter, because that means that I can continue to compound my own audience to get them excited. Um, It's not like I won't launch any other products. I've launched other products, but I think um, my preference would be to go for something that can launch on Kickstarter first, because it's good for cash flow. It's good for building new audience members. It's like growing kind of our, our our community and our list. So I really kind of opt for that. And I'm launching. I have three ca- campaigns planned for the next eight months or so. So I have a really cool kind of like lineup with a uh, with our coffee brand that's going to eventually evolve into uh, a drinkware brand with some of the tech we've uh, we've built. We might get a utility patent actually for for the design that we have within our cups, and I'll I'll show it to you when it's ready.
0: Heck yeah. Uh, the coffee space, actually, I've had some exits in that space. So like, I, I love it. I, I definitely would back your stuff. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'll definitely well, share let, with you. Let, let's touch on, we, we touched on like physical products and like coffee stuff. What about, how does Kickstarter work for uh, print on demand, uh, food, uh, or design like products? Do you have any experience with that?
1: Sure. Um, we had this really, one of the coolest examples of a project that we worked with that was like a, completely unexpected it was an actual food product so uh this became like a top 10 food product uh kickstarter launches of all time um but this was a a chili sauce and we had a someone come to us she was a chef and she wanted to launch this chili sauce she was not an e-commerce entrepreneur she didn't sell on amazon didn't have a store didn't know anything about e-commerce and she said hey i want to launch this Um, what do you guys think like what's the what's the best way to do this and we recommended kickstarter because we thought hey you know, you're, you have a really cool story. Let's see if we can tell this on, uh, on Kickstarter. So, uh, the company is called fly by Jing. You can find her. She's doing really well on Amazon and Shopify. Um, TikTok. You've seen her. Yeah.
0: All over. Yeah. 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 I've, okay. I've tried it oh, too. Cool. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's sweet. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, fly by Jing. So she launched on, um, she launched on, uh, Kickstarter and she raised $120,000 on Kickstarter for a hot sauce. And so, th- I mean, that doesn't sound super impressive, but what she did with this was really crazy. So, I mean, for the record, 120K is pretty impressive. That's gonna be in the top you know, top 5% of all Kickstarters ever. But um, she ended up raising that money and got a lot of really positive press from it. Like people were writing about it. It became like a sensation on the internet for uh, for this kind of this funky, cool hot sauce brand. And so, she took this and she did a lot of cool stuff with this. So she launched on Amazon. Uh, last time I, I checked with her or, you know, we checked in with her. She was doing about 200K a month on Amazon. Uh, her price point for this product was uh, 15 to $17 for this hot sauce. And if you know anything, it's if you ever it. bought, a, it's killing it. Yeah. If you have ever bought like Chinese chili hot sauce, um, this is like a bottom shelf item for like two to three dollars. Type of thing, she's selling it for fifteen to seventeen dollars, and it's because she built this crazy cool brand around this that her, her audience is really fanatic about. They would sharing about this on social media. They would post about this everywhere. So she did. She was doing two hundred k a month on uh, on Amazon. She was selling on her Shopify store as well, where she was seeing on average a hundred thousand dollar a hundred thousand uh, visitors every month. And the coolest thing she did was she took this um, this result from the Kickstarter, which was essentially this pre-order campaign where she raised this much money. And then she took this to private equity investors to get funding. She said, essentially, I didn't launch this product yet and I raised $120,000. So let's, let's talk. <laughs> and so she got a lot of funding actually from private strategic investors where they helped her bring this product to physical retail. So she got into Walmart, she got into... Um, uh, Costco and she got into uh, one of the hardest ones to get into, which was Whole Foods. So she, essentially she she took this Kickstarter launch. Uh, she didn't have a business before, launched this on Kickstarter, built a crazy brand that people were really excited about and took this everywhere. And she, now she has you know physical retail channels and also pretty much all of the online channels that you want to sell on. So crazy, crazy story. A food, like you'd never expect that something like food can do well. But when you think about it, it's all about kind of how do you connect with your audience and how do you create a brand that people actually care about and this is what massive brands are able to do like the apples the red bulls the you know those big companies they're able to create a connection with the audience and it's it's a common misconception that you can't do that as a small brand but i think in the right way where you create an opportunity for your audience to interact and engage with you that's where you're going to really create those opportunities to to build a brand where you get your first You know, one thousand or ten thousand fans, and that's going to take you to a whole different level that you can't imagine. And that's, unfortunately, that's one of those opportunities that we don't really get as Amazon sellers because we don't get access to those customers. And I mean, it's for a good reason. Amazon has the reasons to not give us access to the list, and but that limits us from being able to build brand in a way that's going to be really compelling when it comes to building like a sustainable business across multiple platforms.
0: I love hearing those stories, man. And this was a client of yours. Yeah. That is wild. I mean this this was all I could see, like every other swipe I felt like on TikTok for for a quite a while. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. What a what a, let me ask you something? What let, let's talk a bit two other areas that I'd love to touch on is the how to decide if your product is a good fit for Kickstarter before somebody wastes the resources into it and again we, we rabbit hold away from that other option which was pricing like how, how, how do we decide the pricing of the product but how do we decide like what we want to raise in the campaign
1: okay cool yeah uh so i think the the test generally for um for kickstarter is can you do you see a compelling angle or a unique angle that you can present this product to an audience and so this can be done in a few different ways but the question is how can you position this product to make this a compelling uh interesting thing that somebody would pay attention to and so there's different ways to position the product and positioning can involve um presenting the the product or the features in a unique way so my some of my favorite examples of this are um travel packing cubes um you know really saturated category on amazon but um I'm sure you've seen some packing cubes where they have the two-sided packing cubes, and it's just like you can put it on one side or the other side on the bottom. Um, We had, uh, this wasn't our client, but it's one of my favorite campaigns is these people essentially brought packing cubes to Kickstarter, and they positioned this as um, packing cubes that you can put your clean clothes in and the dirty clothes on the other side. So these dual-sided packing cubes already existed. These people just essentially presented it as now you have the side for clean clothes and then dirty clothes, and then... All, almost all packing cubes are compressible. And so these people just push the clean clothes, dirty clothes and compress 40% space. And they killed it on Kickstarter. And it was like, it was not super special in, in my eyes because I've seen a lot of these Amazon products before but they just found a really interesting way to present a product that existed. So the idea is how can you find an angle to present the product that people are gonna be excited about? And, and if you can kind of pass that test for yourself, and uh, and and find something that you think is unique in that sense. Then you can. This is something you can explore. So you want to do some research. You want to see if other people have done something similar before. And the fact that somebody hasn't done it. Uh, Isn't necessarily a bad sign. It's actually it could potentially be a good sign because nobody's ever presented the product in a in in that type of way before. So it's not like Amazon, where you're you're looking for other people that have done it and done it well. Uh, Here you're you're looking for the niche to see if the niche exists. But potentially, if it hasn't done well, and you Couple this with uh, Amazon research data to know that at least people want this product in this category. There's a good chance that it can be successful as well. And but what we're looking to do here in the process is we want to, like I mentioned before, we want to start getting feedback from customers, developing that community in the meantime. So um, that's going to be that's going to be one of the the main tests that we use to um, to determine if it makes sense to start exploring a product on Kickstarter.
0: Is is that particular topic? Because I imagine that that's going to be the number one like. Pushback that, that I hear from people is like, why don't you do Kickstarter? Oh, my product's not a good fit for Kickstarter because they haven't gotten creative in that in that positioning. But is this something that people could learn more about from from you or, or, or from your coursework in Playground Theory? Or can you talk a little for bit sure. about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So Playground Theory was actually just founded um, kind of by accident. I mean, we never really wanted to get into uh, creating a program or a coaching program or anything like this, but it just kind of ended up happening that people saw what we did and they got excited about it. And they're like, Hey, can you, can you show us? So we essentially just turned our pro- launch process into a system called the launch accelerator blueprint. And that's what we ended up using for um, executing for some agency clients that we've worked with at the time. And that's what we uh, kind of condensed into this uh, program called the lab. Um, and so we, we teach things like uh, how to launch your product, how to build your community, how to do positioning. Um, but Um, what we can do if we can talk, you know, if you want to talk about this later, we can actually have some free resources for the listeners to actually, um, start exploring what it can look like to, uh, understand how to position a product, how to, you know, what the whole pre-launch process looks like and what it takes to actually, um, to, to, to run a pre-order launch essentially.
0: Yeah. If you have links for that, I'd love to put it in the telegram chats that I have. And plus in the show notes of this episode, like that'll, that'll totally work. Yeah. I'll include them. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, it'll be totally free. It's a series of uh, a few videos and uh, some resources that you can download that essentially walk you through a process of um, understanding pre-orders, how they work and um, exactly what you asked for. How do we look at um, positioning a product so that it actually could work or find out if there's an angle for it that could work. And that's a, because that's a really key part of Kickstarter launches that's the key part of these uh, these resources that we're offering for free that people can use this to assess whether or not their product or the product idea will make sense. So we can uh, leave that, a link that, for that if that's okay with you.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I want people to definitely start leveraging Kickstarter and be you know cut cut the umbilical cord a little bit with Amazon PPC. Um being able to acquire build a list launch a launch a product profitably. That's a uh, that's unheard of almost anywhere else. So like <laughs> this is That's a, that's a, that's a huge plus. I want listeners to do that. What, um, what, what if somebody has a product and they're like, okay, you know, I'm already selling this. I can't put it on Kickstarter, but I plan on modifying this product and coming out with like a 2.0 version of it. Is it too late in that scenario to approach Kickstarter? Assuming the positioning is done right.
1: Yeah, not at all. Uh, If you have a new product that's not on the market already, it qualifies to be on Kickstarter. So it's just as long as you haven't launched it and it doesn't exist in that format. So you can modify the product. um, You can... Uh, And you can do a 2.0. A lot of people actually do continued improvements. Um, So we uh, had—I've seen this. It's kind of like an at-home workout tool called Monkey, and uh, they—they did four variations. Like they launched their first campaign. I think it did 300k. They kept launching V2, V3, V4 to the same audience on kickstarter and it kept doing to the range of two to 400k and i was blown away by that because like well people are buying essentially the updated version that's a little bit better than the previous version so uh, the the point is you can um you could launch new versions of existing products as long as um that hasn't been released before
0: that, that seems like a and page out of apple's playbook
1: exactly pretty much yeah just launch a new product every year <laughs> like new, new camera, uh, zoom new times camera. three instead of, instead of we added another two. lens. Exactly. Yeah. And I want yeah. to uh, address one more thing, which was, um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, cutting the umbilical cord with Amazon, this strategy is not a replacement for Amazon because sure. at some point the campaign ends and you're going to have to sell on Amazon or sell on Shopify or go to retail, wherever you want to sell your product. Sure.
0: Right.
1: So the idea here is that, you can launch on Kickstarter and then move over to Amazon. This is like a really interesting thing to think about because what we're doing is we're just enhancing our launch strategy and be able to get a little bit of extra cash, get our brand recognition out there, build an audience, and then move to Amazon. And you can actually use your support from your customers to launch on Amazon. And the great thing about this is that you don't have to you don't have to do anything different because you have to build the assets for to launch on Amazon. You need photo, uh, copy. Uh, I mean, some people are going to debate that you don't need video. I'm going to say that you sh- should be having video nowadays just to have a good listing and have nice ads. But that's exactly what you need to launch on Kickstarter photo, video, copy on your campaign page, which is the equivalent of your product listing page. So you're not doing anything different. I mean, I guess the only thing that I would say in, uh, as a caveat is that you want to invest in higher quality assets. Like you don't want to get your brother's, girlfriend's, cousin to take your photos, you want to get something professionally done in terms of photo and video, because these are going to be your assets that you're investing in. So when it comes to Kickstarter, you're going to invest in like higher, slightly higher quality assets, um, depending on how much you're willing to invest. But that's going to be the same stuff that you use when you move over to Amazon or Shopify or wherever else that you're going to run ads or to like, you know, in your emails, whatever it is, you're going to have these assets. So essentially, you're not adding additional risk. You're minimizing the launch risk, and you're getting all of these benefits from launching this in advance on Kickstarter, and then you can move it over because you already have everything you need to launch on Amazon. so um it's kind of this like perfect complementary strategy that allows you to do both
0: yeah yeah I, I I agree one hundred percent i just I, I definitely don't think it's a replacement for Amazon. I think. I, I get frustrated with all the op- we're talking about Kickstarter here and it's amazing, but there, there's a lot of other options that people could do prior to launching on Amazon that they just don't do like they, they feel like, oh, I, 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 I don't have to think about those things. I'm sort of absolved from marketing and strategic thinking uh, because I'm selling on Amazon <laughs> and, and, that, and that sort of burns me and it's like, okay, well, you got your stuff to Amazon and you're like, I'm about to launch. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like you're about to launch, what does that mean? You're about to turn up your PPC and like raise the ceiling of what you're willing to spend per day. Like that's, 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 it's kind of like <laughs> underwhelming. It's like, if you thought about this ahead of time, like you mentioned all the assets you needed to create, you could have created a Kickstarter and this launch could have been so much more profitable, so much more enjoyable and minimized a lot of that risk.
1: Exactly. And I didn't answer your question before about setting the goal. So I want to make sure we readjust that. Uh, so setting the goal in general, <laughs> there's a balance between raising what you need and setting it to be low enough for the, for the goal to be hit in the first 20, 40, 48 hours. So in general, most of the people that we work with, or that we've, you know, from our experience, a lot of people don't actually need the funds to, uh, to launch the product. They could have already launched the fund. Like they could have launched the product anyways. So uh, if you you're in the situation where you need the funds, you want to make sure, okay, well, what's the minimum amount that i need to be able to to be happy with being able to to launch this product so if i need $30,000 for my moq maybe if i had $10,000 in cash or i had $20,000 in cash then i only set the the goal to be $10,000 $15,000 so if you had the money you want to kind of balance this to be something that's a attainable goal within a shorter period of time because that helps to jumpstart the Kickstarter algorithm so that you can start getting some organic traction within the platform. And that's when you start getting uh, m- momentum from the platform. So Kickstarter kind of looks at the projects that are launching because there's lots of projects that launch um, and they want to see who is doing well, like which which projects deserve some attention. And the projects that deserve attention are projects that are driving their own traffic, building momentum and having having good results early on, because that means that people are interested. So that that means that Kickstarter will look at these projects, say, "Hey, let's give these guys a little bit more of a boost, or let's get them a little bit of uh, exposure, maybe in an email blast, or let's rank them in the projects we love section or something like that. And that's where you start getting a lot of extra traction from the platform. And you have over 6 million backers and customers on the Kickstarter platform. So these people are actively looking for opportunities to, to find cool products that they're into. And they constantly get emails as recommendations. So if they like a certain category, like, you know, outdoors or like home and decor or something like that, um, they're going to get emails uh, from, you know, from uh from, from Kickstarter uh, that recommends specific niche categories if they're interested in those categories. So you want to just, that's where the magic happens is when you start getting momentum with a, with a platform.
0: Solid gold, man. You, you, you blew my mind. I thought I knew everything there was to know about Kickstarter. We've chatted before this, but we didn't, we didn't cover the, like these specific topics and and I was blown away then. So I I love this. I want, I want to be respectful of your time and everybody, the listeners like me are probably short circuiting at this point, like looking for the links in the show notes on how to get access to playground theory. So <laughs> what, before letting you go, what, what is the, I mean, there's so much more, we didn't even have an opportunity to cover, but like, what, what's the best way that somebody can reach out to you, whether it's to like get clarification on something you said, learn more about playground theory. And the the question i like to ask everyone on the show is what is your favorite book and why? okay
1: cool um so the the link that we'll put up is gonna be uh you're gonna be able to get in touch with me there so um uh, livemyplayground.com uh and then we can do a special link for uh for listeners of uh of this podcast so um yeah that's thank the best you, way to reach you. out to me and my uh if we post my socials you're happy to reach out to me anytime
0: there as well absolutely absolutely we will do I, I gotta hear this what is what is uh what is your favorite book and why huh man I, there's a lot
1: of books that are, I'm I'm really into reading, like personal development type books. And uh, I would say the one that's kept coming back to me that I recommend to a lot of people is called The Way of the Superior Man.
0: Uh, do you know this book? I do not. This is exciting. No?
1: Okay. It's um, it's a book essentially about, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity and, you know, like this kind of, it's like masculinity is not positive and this type of thing. Um, this book is really about, healthy masculinity um, and how that relates to having a purpose in life and how that relates to work and relationships and, and just creating impact in the world. And these, uh, what I really love about this book is that the chapters are super short. They're like two or three pages long and they cover uh, like a key concept that you can digest really quickly. And so there's like, I think 40 or 50 chapters, something like that. And, uh, they're all chapters about how to, um, this is not really just for men. I mean, it's written kind of in the context of men, but, um, it's, it's about how to become the best version of yourself. And it's, uh, it's, it's super, super cool. It's made a big difference in my, how I approach creating purpose in my life, but also at the same time, uh, approach relationships as well.
0: That is awesome. I love that. I haven't read it. That sounds like an amazing topic. Do you, do you recall the author name or no?
1: Uh, yes. David data,
0: David data. Okay. Vance, huge thank you for taking the time out to be on the show. Um, I think this is going to do really well. Uh, we covered something that we, I've never gone in such great depth on on the show. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks for having me. And uh, I know if you wanted to go deeper and, and we didn't have enough time, we, we can do round two or we can just chat again. Oh, oh yeah. I'm happy to do it. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely.